I'm David S. Dawson from the Intellectual Podcast, a show that spotlights creatives from all walks of life, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other incredibly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official Gonna Geek Show. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is SP. It's been a week, folks, but we're back. We're podcasting. I'm going to have a good time tonight, and thank you for joining us. We've also got the legend of the show, Chris Farrell. Bad news, everyone. I'm back. <laughs> and hey, if you said I'm tired of those three voices, well, first, you're a monk's company because pretty sure every single listener says that. Uh, but we're pleased to say that Suncast is joining us this week. Hey, Suncast. I'm here to light up your life. <laughs> For the audio listener, he shone a light <laughs> on his face. And now we want ghost stories. <laughs> Suncast, for those of the listeners and viewers who have not heard an episode with you before, uh, why don't you tell them what you usually do, where they can usually find you, and a little uh, bit about yourself. You can you can usually find me in Andrew's basement. Andrew's the guy that runs the GFQ Network, or really, it's me that runs the GFQ Network that makes Andrew run, and I have to keep Andrew in line to make sure that GFQ runs so I can actually get some money from somebody, <laughs> because nobody wants to pay anything this time, so... But uh, GFQNetwork.com, we have a lot of podcasts over there. Uh, we've been hitting it off with uh, Matt Men podcast. If you like wrestling, uh, we've been doing that. We had a lot of coverage uh, a couple of weeks ago with all the shows that were going on. We had WrestleMania. We had uh, like AEW shows. We had NXT shows. We had like an entire week and a half of straight shows. And what about sumo wrestling? Does Andrew ever cover that on Matt Men? Well, if you're talking about like New Japan World Wrestling, yes, we do. Perfect. That's awesome. So if you want to check out Suncast wherever you might find him over on gfqnetwork.com, go feel free to check that out. And he's usually punching buttons behind the scenes doing something to make the GFQ Network look good. And punching Andrew. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. Repeatedly. <laughs> <sighs> well, thank you for coming on today. And let's go ahead and move on to the news. All right, so our first news story today is a little bit of cutting-edge news. I don't know if that's the term, but that's what I'm going to call it because Chris Farrell was so kind as to update my news story for me today. That's is it flat <laughs> earth cutting-edge? Uh, sure, we can go with that. That works for me. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, back in March, we actually discussed on this show here that apparently Microsoft was in talks to buy the popular chat platform Discord. However... It's looking like that is no longer the case because last week the news came out that Discord had ended talks over Microsoft's alleged $12 billion bid. This was according to, quote, people familiar with the matter, end quote. $12 billion is, of course, a lot of money you might be saying to yourself, especially when there are so many platforms coming into this chat space that are of different uh protocol. For example, Clubhouse. Clubhouse is a thing that apparently still continues to pick up, and yet Microsoft was bidding apparently $12 billion. Well, allegedly, Discord has reportedly decided to stay independent or potentially entertain a public listing in the future. This is according to a recent Wall Street Journal article that Discord uh, has approximately $130, $130 million in revenue in 2020 um, is what they had. And so I guess looking at all the things there, they have decided that they would instead decide to keep independent. But here's the question on this, because today it came out that Sony has made a minority investment in Discord as, a, as part of a deal to tie 
Discord to the PlayStation gaming division. This deal was announced today, Monday, the 3rd of May, which was made by the Sony Interactive Entertainment Chief Executive Officer Jim Ryan after the most recent discussions that came out about the Discord Microsoft breaking up of the deal. So the question on that is, are they going to go public or are they going to keep totally independent? I don't know. This, this here makes me think that they're going to stay independent if Sony is investing in them. It also might explain why they broke up with Microsoft because Sony probably made a good deal that required um, less ownership and said, hey, you can't take our competition's money. Chris Farrell, what do you think about all this? I know that you like Discord and gaming and Sony. Well, I mean, in an ideal world, I'd love to see Discord on all gaming platforms so I could have a Discord client on my Switch, my PS4, and then my Xboxes. But I don't think we're going to be going there anymore. It's kind of a bummer, especially as we get to more and more gaming crossplay, because the easiest way to communicate with people is to bring up Discord on your phone and chat that way. And if it was baked into those devices, it would make life a lot easier. From a Sony point of view, the rumor that a lot of people are talking about is this will be used to replace the... uh the communities feature they've put on PlayStation because A, it's clunky and B, not a lot of people are using it. So they could potentially look at baking Discord in for that. Or the simplest thing could be just replacing the entire group chat tool on PlayStation Network with Discord. Now, I think they might have to make that optional because I don't know that all PSN users would want Discord, but I'm intrigued to see where they go with it because like I said, I want it on every device. And I tend to agree with Steven. Them giving or selling a minority stake to Sony makes me think that they have plans of their own of where they want to go with this to potentially cash in more at a later date versus selling for $12 billion to Microsoft or some other vendor now because there were supposedly other companies that were also throwing out astronomical numbers to Discord. I know, Suncast, you have been on a fair amount of Discord servers, and I also know that you hate Sony. So what do you think of this? I don't hate Sony. <laughs> I mean, I don't have my keys on me because I just bought a um, a Sonic the Hedgehog uh, hand sanitizer thing, which is kind of cool. Um, That's Sega. It's, yeah, but it's, it's <laughs> the same thing, really, at this point. So... Um, it's interesting because I think on one hand, I definitely see that Discord could do something at a later date. Definitely. They're one of these companies that is they're small enough and agile enough that they could take their company in a different direction. But at the same time, I'm worried that at that they might become a little bit too big. You know what I'm saying? It's like sometimes these companies get so big, they kind of implode on themselves. Um, Discord is kind of in that precarious stage right now where they're trying to figure out where their next evolution or next stage of the company is. I don't know that necessarily tying themselves to Sony is going to be it. And maybe there's some sort of contract length there. And maybe mm. after this contract ends for the 30% stake that they go off and do something else. That That's a point I hadn't thought about, that it was a term-based contract. That's an interesting idea. Hmm. I mean, but if it's you entirely look at that, possible. If you look at the deal from their perspective... If it's to bake it into PlayStation Network, that's putting Discord on a lot more clients. That's every PS4 out there, presumably, and every PS5 as those are sold and put out there. That's a lot more devices and a lot more potential users for Discord because I'm sure there are many folks that use those consoles now that don't have a Discord account and could potentially see where it could be useful when PlayStation rolls out because I'm sure... They're going to do some kind of major event that says, hey, here's Discord. Here's why this is important to you to put on your PlayStation. All right. Now, you've been quiet here, SP, and I find that a little bit surprising because I understand that your middle name is legally actually both Discord and Sony. That's weird. Yeah. So this announcement kind of took me a little bit by surprise. I think Microsoft was just a little bit too busy dealing with a domestic situation. So they just decided not to bid on Discord services. Oh, I see what you did. For those of you who aren't following, we're recording this today on Monday, May 3rd, 2021. You might want to look up Bill Gates' Twitter. I see what you did there. Yeah. 
Uh, but seriously, do you have any thoughts on this? Because I know you do use Discord quite a bit. And um, you've always, I, at the beginning, you were always a little hesitant because it was so new and you were worried about the platform and whether it could withhold the or, or withstand the growing infrastructure and stuff like that. And kind of curious what your, what your thoughts are on them turning away a massive bid for a smaller bid. I think Discord realizes that they have a lot of potential. I think that they've been able to monetize certain things that are eh, like audio quality and stuff like that, that you can record your podcasts or you can stream your YouTube through it or whatever. You can connect through Discord to do all that. And I think they were realizing the fact that that was an important thing even before the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic hit and a lot of people were continuing to use it. So they realized there is a monetizable way to move forward. Uh, there are Discord subscriptions, you know, $4.99 a month for Nitro. Nitro is the subscription. There's different tiers. I haven't looked at it recently as far as the tiers, but it's not like it's this free platform that's just going to go away. They are sustainable now which means that they could be sustained even more sustainable in the future. Couple that with the fact that it is so accessible across platforms that I'm not, I, I wouldn't be shocked if this arrangement with Sony turns into an arrangement with Microsoft, with Xbox, and then other gaming systems down the line as well. I'm not really sure if this is an exclusive agreement with Sony, or if they can make partnerships with multiple companies mm. to get Discord on their platforms. But if you're playing a group game and you already all have access to Discord, that's an easy chat platform to have even off game. Like you're all coming from different platforms and you're chatting through Discord. You can use that into the games. I mean, that was what Discord was originally meant for. It was to be able to communicate behind the scenes for gaming. And it has evolved into so much more. You have actual mm -hmm. communities on there. You have the ability to record video on there. You have the audio connection that you can have. And you have uh, different security levels within the communities. You can make different rooms. So it's just so versatile right now that it is very sought after in terms of the capabilities that are there and the user base that is there as well. I'm not surprised about this. I'm not surprised that Discord will eventually go public and not be bought out by somebody. It's very tempting, very <laughs> tempting to take that payout, right? But if you can monetize yourself longer, then that payout either gets bigger or you earn more than that sell-off payoff would be. Well, it'll be interesting to follow this in the future because um, I I was very late to the Discord game, and I will admit that I am I think very highly of Discord now. Yeah, I've got two more things I'd like to say about Discord real quick. Sure. Uh, one is the fact that uh, I think at this point, Discord for me, I use Discord way more than I use probably any other communication platform other than maybe Messenger or. Uh, Apple Messenger and all that sort of stuff. But Discord is my go-to. That's what I normally use to communicate with other people right now. Um, and I do know that they've been doing a lot of developing behind the scenes to actually beef up their API. So I can definitely see that this is something they could easily use with other companies to connect them because it's, it's all an API. That's really what this is. Discord is an API. It's very easy to integrate bots or some other service or just any other servers with Discord itself. So I could definitely see that being a plus for them. And I know they've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes to uh, integrate new features and new API features into Discord itself. You can have channels that are mimicked in other servers. You can pull in entire uh, Reddit, subreddit posts into a channel. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about the API point of it. That That is... Discord is just incredibly useful for all yeah. the bots that are able to go in there and you can use bots as moderations yeah. as well. So yeah, it's great. And what one of the, my favorite um, add-ons in there is the one where it will actually read out all the messages in SP's voice. That's one of the popular ones. You just, you, you don't see text anymore. It's just SP's voice reading it out. It took me an eternity to do all the voiceovers right. to make that 
possible. And I can't imagine like the ladies that do the Siri voices or the guys that do the Siri voices or the Amazon voices or whatever, they must for months be in a recording booth. I just, it, wow. That's just a, a lot. Anybody have anything else to talk about the Discord deal before we move on to another exciting piece of news here? No? Nope. All right, let's talk a little bit about a return trip. This is a follow-up actually to a news story that we kind of were talking about last week. Almost sort of, kind of, maybe. What do you got, Suncast? So this is pretty cool. So on Sunday, Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, which would have been yesterday, May 2nd, SpaceX's Crew Run asked Crew One, excuse me, astronauts returned to Earth from the International Space Station. The Crew Dragon, the Crew Dragon is what they call it, um, it was from the International Space Station. It returned with four astronauts on board and it touched down in the Gulf of Mexico, marking it the first nighttime splashdown of a crewed U.S. spacecraft since December 1968 when Apollo 8 splashed down in the Pacific Ocean, according to NASA. So that's pretty cool, the fact that you have something that has, hasn't been done since the 60s. And we're now finally going back and doing all these things. Uh, the spacecraft, which is named Resilience, also broke the record for the longest-serving U.S. spacecraft to be docked to the ISS, surpassing the 84 days tallied by the 1974 Skylab 4 crew. So you have some very monumental records here right now with the uh, SpaceX Dragon capsule. And I am just absolutely geeked out about all this stuff because we're now at that point where we're seeing a ton of new activity from the U.S., especially SpaceX and these uh, Dragon capsules being launched, going up to the International Space Station and then coming back. And it's just going off flawlessly. So I'm very hopeful that going forward, we're going to see more of this just ramped up. We're going to see just more record smash. The fact that we're now basically in the same era where we were in the 60s and 70s in terms of space exploration and just space travel itself, it's just huge to me. What do you guys think about these uh, records that have been set now that we're finally really back in the space game? This was fun to watch, and I watched it live because this, uh, like, like when the meat of the stream happened, it was, uh, it, it was around eleven o'clock or so my time. I'm on the Pacific Coast, and uh, I cra- cracked another brewski and just sat back and kind of watched <laughs> and uh, had a lot of fun waiting, waiting for it all to happen. And as usual with the SpaceX um, base flights. Really good production quality. Um, sure, you got a few of the same facts recycled and whatnot throughout the streams, but pretty good production quality for a live stream um, overall. And uh, I really, really enjoyed watching this. And I had thought to myself, like, this feels new to me. Why is this so exciting to me? It, it feels new. I've watched a few landings now um, through SpaceX. And then they dropped that fact about that this was the first uh, nighttime splashdown since 1968. I'm like, that's why. Because I wasn't alive the last time that this happened. So uh, (laughs) I thought that that was a really cool thing. And I was so happy that I I stayed up and watched it happen. And then uh, I'll admit, like when the boats were coming in, I'm like, oh, it's midnight time to go to bed. I'm I'm not that that young anymore. So uh, then I went to bed, but it was it was fun to watch. And uh, for that reason that you said Suncast. Yeah, they did say that the uh, the Coast Guard provided a little bit more security this time around, because if you remember the first time that <laughs> their Demo 2 capsule splashed down, uh, there were quite a few boats in the area. But this time, I don't know if it's just because it was nighttime I mean, when we were only getting like an infrared image, but it definitely seemed like it was better protected and less boats in the area. The people that were um, hosting the stream on YouTube had actually, they did this whole, like, I don't know, two-minute diatribe about it, like, and we'd like to remind you to stay away. And you are being told that by official authorities that you should stay back. And like they were talking directly to voters is what it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. SP, what did you think about this? I did not get a chance to watch it live or I haven't seen the replay yet, but I've read articles about it. And I knew that the historic case of it coming down is a little bit mitigated for me because I've seen night shuttle uh, landings in the past, but uh, to splash down in the ocean at night time. Have you guys ever been out night fishing on a lake or the ocean? Have you, you done that at all? No, I haven't. No, I can imagine it's pretty dang dark, though. I have it watched is... lots 
of Friday the 13th. And I think that I know exactly <laughs> what happens every time you go out on a lake at night. It can be very scary. You can't see much. You got these waves coming in that you don't know where they're coming in, whatever. I don't know what kind of sea state was in. I think it was relatively calm when the capsule splashed down. But still, you just it's an added uncertainty. And if you're motion sick to begin with, it probably just makes it a whole bunch worse. But the boats are right there. They're monitoring it the entire time. It's in a confined area. I know the Gulf is big, but it's in a confined area. It's not like you're going to get lost in there. And the recovery boats came right in, were able to get them out. I did see the first astronaut come out and they didn't show the, the three next ones. That yeah, came they out. cut away for some reason. Well, I think it was just for medical privacy, to be honest with you. But it's, it's in it case was, they actually the first one gets out and it turns out that it's the whole planet of the apes scenario. Then the other three I mean, can close the door. You never know. You never know. So I, I really enjoyed this. You know, I memorized that the length of the Skylab missions, 28, 59 and, and 84 days. I memorized that I had to a long time ago in training. And it is awesome to see that. At the same time, you take a look at Dragon and you see like all of the solar panels around the service module part of the, of the shroud there. You just can tell this thing is meant to be in space a long time. Now, would I want to be in a Dragon capsule for 84 <laughs> days? No, I would not. It's just too small. But it is possible to be up there sustained for a while and the capsule itself can be heck the capsule is based on the crew or the the cargo version itself which goes up for a while and they throw trash in basically and then it comes back down so yeah i think this was great it's another just regular first that we're getting or redo of a first that's going on in the space program and it is spacex that's operating this but NASA's involved too because they're paying for it. I can't wait for the first like commercial yeah. crew to go up, the first like tourists to go up in a Dragon capsule. I know we're going to get more and more of that with all the space tourism companies that are out there. Blue Origin is one, but this will be one that you could go up in orbit, not just up and down, but go up in orbit and then come back down. So that would be a ride just for thrill. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's yeah. affordable, too, because the cost to orbit is only fifteen hundred dollars per kilogram, which is astoundingly low in case of history to space. So, yeah, this was all awesome. And I wish I could have paid more attention to it. Had a little bit of a, a busy week, we'll just say. And uh, I couldn't watch it, but I will watch the replay at some point. I think you guys have touched on a lot of the major points, but the, the biggest thing to me is just how accessible it is to watch this content anymore. I mean, you just literally go on YouTube and type in SpaceX launch or SpaceX landing and it's there and it's high production value and then it's there forever, basically. So if you miss it, you can go back the next day or later that yeah. morning and see it. So that that's one of the things that I think we need to keep emphasizing every time we talk about this is the manner in which it is shared makes it so that everyone has the opportunity to see it. And I could imagine if I was a, a teacher who was teaching things about space travel and things like that, having these launches available easily to get on YouTube and things like that after the fact would make for a really cool teaching tool. Yeah, I have. To, I, I, it's interesting you bring that up because a couple of these big things that have, have happened, I've been slightly annoyed that I've been the one that's told my my son about or or. One of I got two sons. They're both in school, but one of them is really interested in in space. So I tend to talk to him more about this stuff. And I'm always like, "Oh, your teachers are missing an opportunity just to go in the next day and show you a clip and just be like, hey, did you see this? Like, it's all right there. They have the technology. And I'm always a little bit annoyed that that I'm the one having to show it, even though it's fun. But I'm just like, oh, on an educational level. We have so many resources that we could have just quick conversation because I'm sure that He's not the only one interested in these things. I could definitely see the replays watching live. Yeah. I think we've learned for with kids. That's probably not a great idea. I was talking about clips, like just just yeah. quick clip. Yeah. Yeah. Clips are great. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of clips, let's go ahead and clip. The commission being taken. Is, is that what it is? 
I don't know. Well, well, let's talk about revenue sharing in digital marketplaces. It's something we've talked about before when it comes to the Apple Store taking X percent of cut, 30% cut, I think it is, of transactions, Google Play Store, the Xbox Store, Steam, things like that. Everyone who owns a digital storefront basically takes a cut of their own. And then when the Epic Games Store came into play, they made that cut be much less for some games and introduced a lot of competition between Steam and Epic Games Store. Well, Microsoft is getting involved in this competition, which then fueled a lot of speculation about what else they might be doing. So if you guys hadn't heard, Microsoft, you know, does have a, not an Xbox, a PC marketplace where you can purchase games and apps and things like that for your Windows 10 devices. They had recently announced that PC game purchases, they were changing their revenue sharing agreements. The Microsoft was only going to be taking 12% instead of the roughly 30% industry standard we see in other stores and things like that. This fueled rumors that Microsoft may consider be, excuse me, may consider making the same move for the Xbox digital marketplace. So how did we find all this stuff out? Well, we've talked about it on the show before. Epic Games and Apple are embroiled in a big lawsuit right now that all kind of stems from the fact that Epic didn't want to share 30% of their profits off microtransactions on Fortnite. So Apple yanked Fortnite off the App Store. And there is ongoing litigation going on to determine whether Fortnite will have to be put back on there or whatnot. But as part of the Epic and Apple court case, they did pull some documents from other game companies, including Microsoft. There was a document made available as part of that court case. It was heavily redacted, but on one page, it revealed that Microsoft was considering reducing its 30% store cut on the Xbox console down to 12%. Why is this significant? Because Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo all have digital marketplaces that currently the companies take a 30% cut. If you move it to 12% on the Xbox marketplace, it theoretically incentivizes developers to say, hey, we might want to focus a little more on Xbox features and capabilities and enhancements because we're going to make a lot more money if we sell more games on this uh, on this market. Now, there was an important caveat that was found in these documents. It said, quote, there's proposal currently under gaming leadership team consideration to adopt an 88-12 split as public PC games revenue share for all games in exchange for the grant of streaming rights to Microsoft in the document. This is the other part that gets really interesting. They're keying off of, hey, we'll take less of a cut if you give us the rights to stream this game. Why is that important? Microsoft has been pivoting heavily and hard into cloud gaming. We have the Game Pass uh, feature that's in beta right now that allows you to stream a variety of different games. And one of the difficulties is sometimes acquiring the rights to put those games as a playable cloud-based game. For instance, Epic has said they will never allow Fortnite to be an xCloud-based game because they don't want to have to pay the 30% fees then that would be associated with microtransactions through it, things like that. But by Microsoft's plan here, what they were looking at was, hey, we'll take only 12%, but you have to allow us to put this on our cloud-based servers to allow game streaming. I think that's incredibly interesting, but but here's the catch. Uh, Microsoft spokesman did announce on Sunday as these rumors were taking off, we have no plans to change the revenue share for console games at this time. We will not be updating the revenue split for console publishers. They did, however, refuse to answer whether the document was inaccurate regarding game streaming exclusivity that was getting locked in for PC games. So the PC side of this actually happened. Sadly, the console side of it didn't, but I think it's important to discuss that they were considering it because this is important. A, Microsoft was considering making this bold move, and I will say bold because they're basically flushing money down the toilet a little bit to try and acquire future rights. Their rate was a lot lower than other competitors, so that would force some potential changes on other digital marketplaces to try and compete. And third, it continues to show that Microsoft is heavily invested in game streaming, especially if they are continuing to follow this path of, we'll give you this better deal if you give us game streaming rights. Microsoft has been pushing hard to get folks to subscribe to their Game Pass service, which has the streaming capability. They've been talking about potentially making dongles or apps for other platforms out there to allow people to stream to them. And I think this goes to show that Microsoft continues to see the long-term goal of the Xbox division is not necessarily selling hardware, it's selling subscription services to Game Pass or selling digital versions of games that you can play in their data center, not necessarily on your local consoles. I am intrigued by the fact 
of where they seem to be going. I'm kind of bummed that this did not happen, the price cuts. But I think the writing is on the wall that this is where Microsoft wants to get at some point. And I don't know about you guys. I'm really curious to see how other folks in the gaming sector look at this and then change their plans for the future. I agree. I think this is very intentional that this came out and all all this. And because obviously there were some big players that made it so that this didn't end up being feasible to execute this plan, right? Like they, they must have had to have a certain amount of commitment before this plan could work out and they couldn't get that. But now it's out there. The idea is out there. And I think that as they get more um, user base on their cloud service, when that eventually happens, it won't be tomorrow, but when that eventually happens and there starts to be a little bit of draw there, um, keep in mind, by the way, the whole chipset problem that we've talked about as well. And, and that can make the whole cloud idea come a lot sooner and be a lot more enticing for people than, than um, later because there might be a problem getting physical consoles for a while. But if that market does increase and then you get a couple of key uh, players in there going, okay, you know what? Uh, I I want in on that action. I want my people to be able to to play the game on the cloud service. And what Microsoft's willing to make a bit of a cut, that could create the right scenario where now those people who were kind of like poo-pooing on this or opposed to the idea kind of feel a little forced into doing it just because they want to get in on that action. So I think that this is perhaps the seed that will eventually grow into um, what they wanted happening. And one thing that's important to consider that I forgot to bring up when discussing the story originally is that the games division is one small part of Microsoft. They can afford to take a hit for a few years to get people subscribe and get people bought into this new method of playing games Because, you know, they're selling OneDrive subscriptions, they're selling Windows licenses, they're selling Office subscriptions, things like that. Those all make tons more money than the games division does at this point in time. So those can offset the fact that you might potentially lose money in the short term to get people to buy into this new world. I know Suncast, you were shaking your head at a couple of Mm -hmm. things there. What do you think about this? I think it would be a very smart move for Microsoft because one of the biggest biggest sticking points for a lot of developers is the cut that these platforms take like Microsoft or Apple. And and that honestly, that's something that I hear all the time from developers is that we want to do this, but I mean, we want to get the reach out there, but at the same time, you almost have to give half of all your sales away almost. And it's just like, at that point, some of the margins are so razor thin that you're basically losing money just to get your game out there and heard. And so I think it's very enticing for a lot of developers. If the cut was dropped from 30% to 12%, I think that's going to raise a lot of heads, and especially a lot of game developers be like, okay, I need to definitely take a second look at this, and this might make more sense for me because we're going to get, it's only going to be a 12% cut instead of a 30% cut. And that's going to actually make something worth it for the developer to actually go the route with Microsoft. You, you mentioned uh, something there that I think could also happen, which is that if it does end up being really enticing for the game developer to want people to buy it through the Microsoft platform, they go, okay, yeah. well, on the other platforms, we're going to increase the price because it's, it's, you know, they're taking, Sony's taking a bigger cut or whatever, right? So that's well, the epic argument that we saw. Yeah. And what we've seen on the Apple store right now is it used to be you could subscribe to Netflix through their website. Or you could subscribe through Apple Pay built into the iOS ecosystem, but you'd pay an extra 30% for that convenience. We've seen yeah. things like that happen. And one other interesting thing to note here is uh, the Xbox subreddits had some interesting AMAs with developers been publishing games to Game Pass. And kind of what John mentioned there comes into play, which is it's been made financially beneficial to them to just be like, yeah, we're going to enroll our game in Game Pass because Microsoft's going to give us x amount they don't actually tell us because they can't it's contractually locked down under nda but it is they indicate that it is more profitable or more guaranteed profit for them to just become part of game pass to get a flat fee and potentially x dollars per month than it is to try and put it in the marketplace and get people to buy that way so Mm -hmm. we're seeing an evolution of how microsoft is handling gaming to try and make it a bit more friendly to developers for lack of a better term that's a really good thing I mean, if you think about, you know, the way that developers have been treated 
over the last few years, it, it's the power has been in the companies Microsoft, Apple, and Facebook, and, and it really does need a shift back to the developers. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good thing if it stays that way. It's it's a all right. Let's look at it this way: Microsoft could be doing this now in five years from now when they get say arbitrarily 60% of market saturation for people using this service. They could be like, ha ha, now we turn the screws and we get back to our 30% cut. I mean, I don't think that's a smart plan, but you've always got to consider the fact that these guys are all in it to make money. You can't necessarily trust those intentions stay the same for multiple years. True. Now, SP, um, I know that we've discussed today how your middle names are Discord and Sony. And some might think that the S and SP stood for Stargate because of the whole, you know, Stargate Pioneer thing. But the reality is here is that it is not. S stands for streaming gaming is is what it is. It's hyphenated, right? That's right. I find myself into this uh, business world of trying to market streaming gaming and get it really going because I know that's where the profits are going to be in the future. I do have some concerns about this i have concerns about internet accessibility to the point where you could use uh, the internet for gaming you're going to have to have some sort of minimum connectivity and i don't know if everybody is going to have that not only in the cities where we saw earlier on in the pandemic uh, distance learning and schools that was a, a problem to go along but also rural now i know there's fixes on the way, like Starlink, for example, but I don't think it's going to be able to, you're going to be able to uh, have everybody on those systems. So I don't know if it's going to be ubiquitous and it kind of, I don't know if it irks me or if if I'm just concerned that like, if I'm a kid and I want to play a video game, that it would depend on where I live to be able to do this now versus being able to play it on a local machine somewhere. And I know even the Xbox, you need to download stuff to it and PlayStation, you need to download stuff to it. And if you're gaming with other people in a team game, you know, you need to have that internet connectivity, but just to play something like portal, I I know Mm. it's an old game, but let's just take portal for example, and to have to have some sort of internet connectivity to be able to stream that in I think it's going to limit to a certain percentage. I don't know what that percentage is, like 60% of gamers out there, 80%, 90%. I have no idea, but not all the gamers that are out there today will be able to uh, do this streaming. For the streaming, I think that the cost has to be low enough to be accessible as well. Let's take Disney Plus, for example, versus Netflix. Those Netflix subscriptions were getting up to $20 a month. Disney Plus comes on the scene and they go, six bucks a month. And everybody's like, woohoo, that's a (laughs) steal, right? Now, it's creeping up right now, but it was a steal to begin with. And if you have all these services, you're going to have to not have them all at some point, right? And it just has to be low enough so that people with limited incomes will be able to uh, enjoy it in in my opinion now i know live subscriptions are are out there we, chris uh, let me ask you a question would this replace the live subscription so the current model of how you do game streaming on xbox is you have to be a game pass subscriber which basically includes xbox live as part of that subscription so you only get access to streaming from Microsoft servers as part of Game Pass. Now, I should caveat that I do believe streaming from your Xbox to a mobile device does not require live, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Meaning, instead of streaming from Microsoft servers, you could be out and about on your cell phone, and as long as your home internet is robust enough, you could start streaming from your home Xbox directly to your cell phone. Yeah. just... Different uh, caveats that I want to make with this I think, in cost and internet. I think they're, they're great points. And yeah, the infrastructure is going to be a problem. I think where there could be um, the turning point will, will be um, if they can get enough demand from the gamer market in big cities or big areas that do mm-hmm. have the infrastructure, it could end up being profitable at that point where, where they can get a good chunk 
of the the uh, gamers in um, into this whole streaming idea. But yeah, I agree. Um, and, and I think things like Starlink um, might help with that. Obviously, there's a latency thing if you've looked at any reviews that are out there about Starlink right now. But presumably, it'll start to get better. And I think if you end up with with that sort of service, um, not only would it be an alternative, but it also drives some of the current uh, ISPs out there to maybe pull up their socks a little bit and go, okay, well, people are people are going to take Starlink because they're um, giving a better service than this 20-year-old DSL that we're offering. That might force them a little bit to invest in their infrastructure a bit. So I, I think it, it is a while before you would have the majority potentially being able to use this. But I think I think we're right there where there would be a good segment of, of gamers that would be able to do it. But We'll see. I guess it's still early yet. And uh, until then, we'll just have to keep coming back to uh, streaming gaming Discord Sony Pioneers latest updates. We've mentioned Starlink a couple of times. I just want to throw the caveat in there that Starlink did receive the approval mm. to lower their altitudes yeah. recently, which is going to improve their performance. Now, is it still good enough for gaming? I don't know. Probably not, but we'll see. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, well, let's go on to the next news point here, which is more space stuff, and it's about approvals. We've been covering the SpaceX Starship development down at Boca Chica, Texas for quite some time, or I guess now Starbase USA. I don't think it's been officially renamed, but Elon Musk would uh, prefer that it be renamed. Anyway, there had been a ramp up to the next SN15 test following the SN15. 11 mid-air explosion is the best way to explain it. And I had been concerned that the SN15 would be delayed. Uh, the launch would be delayed. The test would be delayed because FAA would have to come in and do a safety investigation and delay further testing. Well, something miraculous kind of happened in the last week. So let's go over what happened. In a statement on Wednesday, April 28th, 2021, the FAA has approved the next three Starship prototype launches to an altitude of 10 kilometers, provided that there is an FAA safety inspector on site. In the announcement, quote, the FAA has authorized the next three launches of the SpaceX Starship prototype. The agency approved multiple launches because SpaceX is making few changes to the launch vehicle and relied on the FAA's approved methodology to calculate the risk to the public. As a condition of the SpaceX license, an FAA safety investigator is required to be on site in Boca Chica, Texas for all the Starship launches. The FAA safety inspector is expected to arrive on site on April 29th to support a possible launch this week. SM15 has not launched as of this recording on May 3rd. There are road closures that might happen tomorrow on May 4th or May 5th. Now, here's some more caveats. The SN11 mishap investigation remains open. The FAA has analyzed and adjudicated public safety-related concerns for a return to flight and issued a favorable public safety determination to allow the licensing process to proceed. Now, prior to the launch of SN15, the FAA will verify that SpaceX implemented corrective actions arising from the SN11 mishap investigation. For the launch of SN16 and 17, SpaceX may be subjected to additional corrective actions if any new mishap investigations were to occur. Now, to get into a little bit of the history of this, which we have talked about before, SpaceX CEO Elon Musk has at times criticized the FAA for not being flexible or responsive enough to the rapid pace of iteration and testing that SpaceX is pursuing in Starship's development. On the other side, members of Congress have suggested that the FAA has perhaps not been as thorough as necessary in independently investigating earlier Starship testing mishaps particularly SN8 and SN11. On Thursday, the FAA confirmed Administrator Steve Dixon spoke with Elon Musk on March 12th for 30 minutes, quote, as part of the agency's continuing engagement with the company, unquote. SpaceX did not respond to a request for comment on the issue, 
The FAA said Dixon, quote, stressed the FAA's role in protecting public safety by ensuring regulatory compliance. He made it clear that the FAA expected SpaceX to develop and foster a robust safety culture that stresses adherence to FAA rules, unquote. So historic, the FAA came through and said, we not only approve 15, but 16 and 17. They're trying to be responsive to the rapid pace of development here. They're acknowledging the fact that Starship slash SpaceX has a safety program in place that is using FAA calculations. And they are saying that we are going to support this by having an investigator on site. And I assume the investigator is still on site, probably got there last late last week and is still on site today. We talked about the FAA maybe opening up a local office, which was on tap uh, right now. I believe the FAA safety investigators come in from Florida, probably from the Cape Canaveral Kennedy Space Center. So this is really exciting that the next three launches are ready to go as soon as the vehicles are ready to go. From coverage, I've seen that SN16 is almost completely assembled and ready to go out to the pad. So no matter what happens with SN15, we might get a flight of SN16 shortly following. I am, though, concerned, as we have stated before, that the safety really needs to be thought of here. So far, there's been no damage to persons and minimal damage to property outside of SpaceX. These things are volatile. The guidance systems could go off track. It could end up smacking into Brownsville. I mean, it's very improbable, but it is possible. So yeah, I I think the FAA really needs to clamp down here, and I'm glad they have a safety investigator on site uh, for any future launches. Now, I know you guys have a lot to say about this. I think this right now is why I'm covering the FAA determination more than I'm covering the actual launch, because this is a big deal. So question, they've given approval for the next three launches. That is, of course, something they could take away of, say, worst case scenario, something catastrophic happens with the next launch. They could be like, hold on, this went bad. We're pulling our permission for the next two until investigation's done, correct? That is correct. Okay. Okay. I just want, I figured that was the case, but I wanted to get (laughs) clarification. Yeah. Too bad, free pass. We can do what we want. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, In in the statements and the following uh, communications back and forth with the FAA came out that prior to the launch of 16 and 17, if there is a mishap in any of the before flights, that they will uh, go ahead and, and revise the safety protocols. I'm unsure of whether multiple flights per vehicle are being allowed. Like 15 mm. goes up, comes down. Can right. you refuel it and take off again? I don't know that it, that would be outside the bounds of testing to date. Cause we haven't seen it yet, but we'll see. All right. So, so there's been a little bit of a standoff here. We've talked about that, the standoff mm-hmm. between SpaceX and the FAA. And there's been a, a bit of, um, We'll just say uh, nudging of each other via Twitter and other other means between the two. That's putting it mildly. And then there was last week the discussion, I believe it was last week, that they had, um, that NASA had chosen SpaceX to do the lunar lander, I believe is what it was, right? It's a couple of weeks ago. So a couple of weeks ago. And then... You on that show, I believe, came out and said, well, I think there might be a bit of a, a question on Blue Origin's part or something like that. And, and then yeah. there was a challenge that came out. Yep. And now NASA has gone, the, you know, NASA, a U.S. government organization, has, has gone and said, no, SpaceX, pump the brakes. We got to reassess things and whatnot. So one arm of the government was in a standoff. Then the other one started to scratch SpaceX's back, but then had to stop scratching the back. And now all of a sudden, the other arm has an approval? Hmm, coincidence? I don't know. That standoff kind of ended abruptly without any resolution. So I, okay, conspiracy theorist uh, bound, go ahead. I think they're two independent <laughs> organizations right now that are dealing with two different things. I don't uh, know. I'll, I don't I'll, know. I'll, 
Also, yeah, you were right that Blue Origin did file a protest and so did Dynetics. They, they both decided to go ahead and do it. I don't think it's going to delay SpaceX from creating a lunar lander. Elon Musk was going to do that anyway. He needs to in order to get to Mars. So it, this was just going to fund $2.89 billion of the development costs. So he can do that on his own. But if he can get the government to do it, that would be great. Now, Blue Origin, they ha- I think the only thing that they can really protest is the determinations, like the excellent version of the management and the technical capability or the very good or acceptable levels. And Kathy Luters, she's the head of NASA's human space flight that she was the determination here. She was the one that said, I can't afford both. So I, I don't know what the legal ramifications are going to be here. I know I've seen other government programs do this and it's uh, always come in like what the original determination was. Anyway, I guess a few big programs have flipped, but not very many. In this case, I just don't see it. I, I don't see it changing just because SpaceX is so far down the road compared to Blue Origin. You know, and the other thing that I just want to quickly say is like, um, I I would be very curious how how long it would take or, or how short it would be um, if all of a sudden SpaceX, again, private company, as you said, all of a sudden was shopping around and offering their services elsewhere and, and use that as leverage if they weren't getting the right approval. Like, because I, I think the U.S., you, you know, want, wants to be in on this cutting edge action and uh if all of a sudden there was a viable bid from another country, I have a feeling the uh, regulatory bodies would very quickly make this all work out in SpaceX's favor. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is a commercial entity after all. And then Suncast brought up something before when he was discussing the uh, story about the Dragon capsule is that in the past week or so, Russia has announced that they're going to start pulling out of the International Space Station. You might think, no big deal. The U.S. can go alone. Not quite the case because some of the central modules are Russian that keep the thing up. So if Russia really pulls out, then there would be no way to keep the station going. It could be a ploy Mm. to get the U.S. to send more money their way because we're no longer buying rides on the Soyuz to get up there. Could be their way of saying, look, you know, we're going to shut it down. And it is old. I mean, how old was Mir when that collapsed, basically? We're about at that point with the International Space Station now. So there's only so much life left in that thing, even if the U.S. sends money over to Russia to keep it going. Let's be honest here. SpaceX will come up with the solution, like as an alternative. Well, I've seen renditions of of uh, space stations made of starships. So, yeah. yeah it, and Elon Musk wants thousands of them. He's not been shy about saying we need thousands of starships. So, okay, we'll see what happens. Well, thanks for updating us on that, because that is a really interesting thing to follow the the cat and mouse game (laughs) about getting those launched. Uh, Really quick, a couple extra, extra news points here. Uh, Number one, uh, Suncast mentioned that Verizon sold something, right? Yeah, they uh, finally sold off AOL and Yahoo properties to a company called Apollo Global Management for $5 billion. Yes, that might seem a lot, but they bought Yahoo and AOL for a combined total of about $9 billion when they originally bought the pairs. So they lost quite a bit of money here, but it seems like they finally divested themselves of those very poor properties. And it's very interesting that basically AOL is now dead. AOL must have been like a, a throw-in. It's like, no, we want Yahoo. Um, you can you can buy Yahoo, but you got to take AOL. <laughs> yeah, Verizon's media strategy did not work out very well for them. Um, all the companies that they've recently bought for their media portfolio, they have either sold off or lost money on. When did they buy it? They bought it like only a couple years ago, right? Gosh, I'd have to look that up. I don't have it here in the article. Within uh, the last five years, I would say. I yeah. don't. I mean, that's just me um, giving a guess, though. 
Well, I guess Verizon will make decisions in some form. But hey, at least yeah, it's living on with somebody. Then I don't know. We'll see what happens with this. I just I have to laugh anytime there's Yahoo or AOL news. I'm sure this right? venture capitalist company or whatever or holding company is going to do a great job Yay. maintaining uh, the history and greatness of these products. Yeah, uh, they're dead. They're dead. You know what they should do? Well, bring back the free AOL CDs. That's what they should bring, do. Bring back Yahoo Answers. Don't shut it down. <laughs> I need the comedy. <laughs> well, it does sound like this company is not really interested in AOL. They're more interested in Yahoo to begin with. So it doesn't sound like they're going to do anything with AOL. AOL Messenger coming back. Because they renamed the company or something like that. Um, the new company, it's just basically Yahoo. There is no more AOL. <laughs> so, this, this is a disaster. I can't wait to find Sorry, out. Sorry, you've got mail doesn't exist anymore. I, I can't wait to find out what company buys it for $1 billion next. <laughs> you got to think of all the AOL email accounts that are still out there and all the personal data that can be mined from those accounts. So I, I don't necessarily think you're buying the services. You're more buying the information. Fair enough. By the way, this company, um, Apollo, it's a private equity firm that owns the Venetian Resort in Las Vegas and the craft retailer Michaels. And their co-founder was Leon Black, who recently stepped down as the chairman soon after it was revealed that he paid more than $150 million to Jeffrey Epstein. So, so hold on. Did you say he <laughs> the, the company owns Michaels? Is that what you said? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Get an extra ten percent off at Michaels with your Yahoo email account. Well, I was going to say, how many forty percent off coupons are they going to start offering here for for Yahoo services? Like nobody will pay face value I mean, of Yahoo. But I mean, joking aside, what are the Yahoo services that are still major out there? Like, for instance, Yahoo Search. Yahoo Search is Bing now. It's not a Yahoo algorithm that's used. It was Bing that was being used. So they have their sports stuff, which was kind of an aggregation of the AP stuff. They have their fantasy sports games, which are still pretty heavily used. And do they still have like their online games where you could play like pool and stuff online? I mean, I honestly don't know what the major services are that are left at Yahoo that are actually run by Yahoo and haven't been spun off to basically be named Yahoo, but run by someone else. Interesting. Um, yeah, uh, that's a good point. But I guess, like SP said, it's all in the all in the. Oh, I know what the P stands for. It's not pioneer. It's privacy because it's all about the private information that they're going to be buying. There we go. If you can go to in. our sponsor at privacy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> are we, are we going to do a VPN ad now? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what we're going to do. Oh my it's gosh. Called- it's called stevenvpn.com. It exclusively routes through his house so you can watch Canadian Netflix. Use pro- promo code Michaels today. <laughs> We've seen so many YouTube VPN commercials. I just, uh, YouTube sail- sailing channels. They're like, yeah. oh, you got to use this VPN because we're, we're traveling all over the world and we need to secure our data through VPN, which is true. And I guess it kind of works, but I'm just sick of seeing the ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, They probably also talk about their wallets and their shaving products, too. Those are other two big popular YouTube things. Which is why you need to go to NordVPN and use promo code 2Mikes (laughs) and get your first six months for free. (laughs) So so one of the YouTube uh, car accounts that I watch, Vice Grip Garage, he finally just did a razor ad for Harry's Harry's Razor. It was kind of Cool, though. He's like, you got to sanitize the razor. So he took a bottle of whiskey and he <laughs> dumped it on the razor and he never used it. He still had a beard at the end. I'm like, dude, what do you shave? I, I don't actually want to know. Don't ask a gentleman what he does with his <laughs> grooming habits. I, uh, I, I do want to confess right now that um, you're right. Harry's Razors is huge in the uh, current, the new media uh, advertising market. You, you find him everywhere. Uh, every time I see a Harry's Razor ad, I'm so glad Suncast is here. I generally hear the person <laughs> say it in Andrew uh, in Zarian's voice. So in Andrew Zarian's voice, because first time I ever heard it was from Zarian. So um, yeah, Zarian, I hear you uh, plug Harry's Razors all the time. Uh, the last news story here is all about me not dying again. 
<laughs> That's right. They keep on trying to kill you, Stephen, don't they? This time it's China. So apparently they launched the Long March 5B core stage, which lofted their first stage of their newest space station into orbit. Well, the booster's coming back down. It's uncontrolled. They don't know where. They don't know when. But I can guarantee you, Stephen, if they have a choice, it's coming down on your house. So we'll see in the next week when this thing comes down. It is classified as 2021-035B. It's roughly 30 meters long, 5 meters wide, and it is in a 170 by 372 kilometer orbit traveling at more than seven kilometers an hour. So it's going to be a big bang when it comes down on your house. Let's just hope we're streaming when it happens, because I think that would be really good. That would be not only a, a fitting end to all my podcasting, but I think it might help you guys uh, with ratings. So there you go, because you guys will carry on the show, right? To be honest, and I know you probably edited it out, but when I cut out tonight, I kind of figured that the rocket had come down on us. <laughs> <laughs> For the uh, people not watching live, yes, you missed it. SP did cut out and I edited it out. Uh, but that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of the show. Before we wrap up, just take a moment to go around the table and plug and promote and do whatever we'd like to do. I'm going to go ahead and start off here with our guest of honor, Suncast. Uh, what would you like to plug or promote? Uh, feel free to throw out some 40% off Michael's coupons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like for people to go and check out my Instagram. I've started really working on my Instagram lately, um, taking a lot of photos, putting them up there. Um, if you don't know, I do a lot of 360 photography and I make them into li little tiny planets. It's pretty cool. And then I've also started getting into exploring abandoned places. So I have a lot of graffiti and decay and all kinds of uh, old buildings on my Instagram now. So if you want to check that out, go to Instagram.com slash Suncast. That's S-U-N-K-A-S-T. And uh, just like all my photos, follow me. It, I got good stuff on there. I try to post about every other day. I have to say, I don't, I don't use Instagram. I've not really had a drive to use Instagram, but that makes me kind of want to have one. I never really used Instagram before I started doing all this photography stuff. And for me, Instagram is one of the best places to share. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's all about the photos on Instagram. I agree. It with is uncast. And I've seen your stuff. I follow you on Instagram. It's actually pretty. You're right. Your photography is really cool. Thanks. And make sure you're wearing pants whenever you're near a reflective surface <laughs> or don't. That's how you get more hits. That's an Easter egg. <laughs> or two of them. Uh, That's not my finger. <laughs> is this turning into a manscaped ad now? Again, hand sanitizer. You got to sanitize or vodka or whatever it was. Uh, SP, what would you like to plug or promote? I would actually like to say a big thank you to the Gonna Geek community. I had a personal situation that arose since we recorded last week. It has hopefully resolved itself from the emergency status. It's still an ongoing situation. And if you want more information on that, you can go to our Discord server at guineageek.com Discord. I posted all the details there. And I want to thank everybody for reaching out to me. And I especially want to thank Stephen for shouldering a lot of the burden that had to occur between now and then. So thank you very much, everybody, for your well wishes. Chris Farrell, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? Just a friendly reminder, we do stream a lot of live content here at Geeks.Live. So if you're watching the show live right now, scroll down to the bottom of the page. There is a calendar of all of our upcoming live events. And if you're listening to this or watching it at a later date, go to www.geeks.live. You too can see the calendar for yourself. And I would just like to go ahead and say thank you to Suncast for joining us today. And uh, just... You know, I know SP, you, you just commented about me um, doing whatever I did. It, really not a problem. Uh, we all here have each other's backs um, as far as if something goes wrong in one of our personal lives. And and so don't, don't think twice about that. And I wanted to, though, defer to Suncast because we didn't know because of those issues whether or not you were going to be able to make today's show. And Suncast was right there saying, yes, I would love to come on the show um, so that if you weren't able to, we had a, a fill-in, but Suncast, it was great to have you on as a fourth anyways. But I wanted to acknowledge right now that you uh, also work to help fill in 
when this all came up. So thank you very much, Suncast. Thanks for having me on. But that is going to go ahead and wrap it up. So for episode 375 of the official Gunna Geek Show, I'm Steven saying 375. Or if you watched live last week, was this 376? I don't know. <laughs> MSP saying guacamole. <laughs> I'm Sunkass and I have nothing else to say. I'm Chris. I want some chips and guac. <laughs> Back to the guacamole. <laughs> Bye. Hey, it's almost Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.